Okay, so we're reading from First Peter two. Um, sorry. Yes. Verse fifteen. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled in their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Well, we continue in this, uh, in this letter of Peter. So I'm going to actually share my screen with you this today. So this was the question we were looking at earlier. However, now called to glorious suffering, <laughs> glorious in quotes, um, these words of Peter, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. In many ways, I think the thrust of Peter's message since actually verse 13 of chapter 1, where the invitation was to gird up the loins of our mind, to, to, to get serious, to be uh, focused, um, living in the light of this this living hope that he's spoken of because of the resurrection, we now have a hope that is steadfast, that is incorruptible, an inheritance kept in heaven for us. And therefore, in light of that, Peter wants to say, be holy in all your conduct. And what we read at the end of our reading today is live for righteousness, even in the midst of a world that is not righteous, in a world that at times is resistant, in fact, to the ways of God. And I think particularly the message today is how we act in the times of darkness, struggle, potential suffering, hardship. Um, when we act righteously, gloriously in that place, we, we bring greater, greater praise to God and bring God greater glory to him. So Peter gives us some examples. What, what, what is this righteousness? Um, well, in a very simple way, he said, it's God's will that you do good. So doing good, good things, 
And in doing so, you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, foolish people who say there is no God, who resist the ways of God, cannot um, ignore the reality of goodness. <laughs> We're all drawn to that. So doing good. Secondly, he says, live as God's slaves, literally live as God's slaves, as free people. So in our freedom, we enslave ourselves, we submit ourselves and yield to the purpose and ways of God. This is righteousness. He says, show respect, honor to everyone when we value people. And he includes the emperor. And that would not have been automatic, <laughs> may not have even made sense. And so it would certainly include our leaders, our ministers, and particularly prime ministers. He says, submit to your masters, to slaves. Now, we touched on this. Slavery was more commonplace, not as we would understand it today. But we could apply it to our bosses, our managers, those who supervise and overseers. He's already spoken about governing authorities that we're to submit to, to our spouses, in fact, to one another. But he says to our masters, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. This is not about them and their merits. This is about us and God's holiness. And then another thing he says is endure suffering for good works, because that was the example that Jesus set us. In fact, I love this verse in um, Philippians. Paul puts it like this. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And, and that's why I say in the midst of unrighteousness, we should shine more brightly, even when we are at times victims um, and affected negatively <laughs> by unrighteousness. I've got a little video clip which explains this word righteousness. Hope this is helpful. What is righteousness? We hear this word a lot in the Bible. Let's find out what scripture says it means. Deuteronomy 4.8, Moses said, Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments, as righteous as this whole Torah which I am setting before you today? Deuteronomy 6.25, And it will be righteousness for you if you are careful to observe all this commandment before Yahweh our Elohim, just as He commanded us. The Torah is the perfect definition of righteousness. Practicing the Torah is practicing righteousness. Righteousness in Hebrew is tzaddik, which means to be blameless, innocent, just, a righteous one, one who is right. Psalm 119 verse 172. Let my tongue sing thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Yeshua obeyed the Torah and is the one perfect example of living in righteousness. And today Yeshua tells us to do the same. Follow Yahweh's Torah and you will be practicing righteousness. Matthew 6, 33, Yeshua said, but first seek the kingdom and his righteousness, his Torah, and all these things shall be added to you. Let's look at the opposite real quick. What is unrighteousness and wickedness? 1 John 5.17 All unrighteousness is sin. Romans 1.29 Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip. You get the idea. Wickedness and unrighteousness is sinfulness, the disobedience of the Torah. Yeshua's first comment to John when getting baptized was this, Matthew 3, verse 13 through 15. 
Then Yeshua arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Yeshua answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. For Yeshua to fulfill all righteousness, he had to keep all of the Torah, and we know he did. The first step was to get baptized in water as the Torah commands. I'd like to be clear on my channel about salvation. You are saved from your sins by grace through faith in Yeshua our Messiah. He paid the price for all sins and has given us a way of everlasting life. His righteous blood covers us and redeems us from sin and death. But does that give us the license to sin freely now? No. Once you put your trust in Yeshua, you automatically have a renewed heart and want to live like Him. How do we live like Yeshua? By obeying the Father and obeying His Torah. Hence, you're practicing righteousness. Romans 3.31 Do we then nullify the Torah through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the Torah. So Peter goes on to reflect upon Jesus' suffering. And he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he's reflecting upon not only the fact that Jesus died for our sins and to make a way to God, but he also, in doing so, set as an example for ourselves, particularly in the face of unrighteousness. He carried our sorrows and our griefs. Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And Peter quotes that last phrase, by his wounds, we are healed. It's a popular verse. It's a verse that's often used as the basis as we pray for healing for people and particularly physical healing. <clears throat> but Peter isn't using it in this context um, for physical healing. In fact, um, in his interpretation of Isaiah, um, he really isn't talking about, he doesn't think that this relates to physical healing at all. Now, that's not to say that we're not to pray for people's physical healing. Um, Jesus, in fact, instructed us to do so uh, because this is a sign and a symbol that Jesus is who he claims that he is, that he has power over sickness. But I don't think Jesus died so that in this life we would be physically healthy all the time. In fact, if we, <clears throat> if we go back to um, the book of Isaiah again, because that's the context in which the prophet is sharing these words, we see that even in the context that we read it in Isaiah 53, he's not talking about physical health. He's talking about spiritual health. The whole book of Isaiah is about a rebellious people. If we go back to the very beginning of the book, Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet says this, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, the iniquity that was laid upon him. A brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. The whole head is sick 
and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. This was the problem of Israel, seen as a physical body, but also seen as one that was sick because of their rebellion and their resistance to and rejection of the ways of God. And I think this same emphasis or interpretation is how Peter understands this word in Isaiah. You see through the cross where we're healed and have the opportunity to, to, to turn away from our waywardness, fundamentally from our disconnection from God because of our sin, our unrighteousness, the choices we have made. And what is promised is that that healing through the cross has been completed. Again, in Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Again, another metaphor or picture of spiritual healing. It's what the theologians called uh, imputed righteousness. And Paul talks about it like this in Second Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, he was the, the perfect sinless one, to be sin for us. So our sin was taken off of us and through the cross put upon him so that in him, as we rest in him, as we trust in him, as we believe in and follow in obedience to him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the work that is complete. This is the work that we trust Christ did on our behalf and the gift that he gave to us, not just the removal of sin and the stain and shame, but actually the, the giving of righteousness in the sight of God, holiness, completeness. This is the work that is finished. The work of physical healing will not be completed until eternity. God gives us tokens of his goodness that there are times when he does heal and we are to pray for healing and we're to ask God that he would bless in that way as a sign of the truth. But the greatest healing is a restored relationship, is reconciliation with God and peace with him and the gift of sonship and daughtership. And when we begin to re both receive and rest in that completed work, the righteousness that has been given to us is meant to spill out in our righteous acts, our righteous deeds, the way that we live righteously, according to Torah, the law, the commandment, Jesus's instruction it makes me think if, you know, when you um, when you become a citizen, if you like we've done recently, we we uh, we became American citizens. But a citizen of any nation, the invitation is not just to live in that place, but to take on the values of that nation. If I still try to live with my old identity in a new place, there will be disconnect. There will be kind of friction within that. It comes out of my new identity. In the same way, when somebody is anointed and appointed as a king, as a monarch, they're meant to act in a manner that is regal. <laughs> when we're adopted into a family, I talked last week about our grandson being adopted. The invitation is to understand the new identity in the family to which he belongs and to live into the values and the blessing of that family. When we are adopted as children of God and righteousness is given to us, we are to take on the characteristics of the Godhead, godliness, 
Christ-likeness. And that's why Peter in his second letter would say, you've been given everything you need for godliness, and that is our righteous acts. And especially so at the point of provocation, I would say, by the ways of the world. And that's why Paul said, sorry, Peter says, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Die to sin and live for righteousness. Yes, we've died to sin. The price has been paid. And Jesus says, unless you deny yourself, which is another expression of dying to sin, take up your cross, embrace what this will bring into your life and follow me, obey my teaching, you have no part with me. And at one level, when we turn to Christ, the gift is given. But nevertheless, there is a daily dying. Paul writes about this. There's a recognition that for me to be faithful to God requires that I put to death the things of the flesh, the old ways, the old patterns. And God gives me his spirit to do that. In fact, Paul in Romans says we have an obligation to do that so that the life of Christ can be lived through us. <clears throat> How do we do this? By the grace of God. <laughs> Just like we can't save ourselves, we cannot actually grow in Christ and grow in righteousness. We grow through the presence of the God who is with us, as Dan reminded us through our worship, that his presence is with us at all times. His faithfulness is consistent towards us. It says, David reflected in the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore shall I lack no thing. And Peter puts it in a similar way, draw near to the shepherd, the good shepherd and overseer of your souls. That word overseer is what we translate as bishop. Um, it's episkopos in the Greek. Uh, it became a title, but really it's one who watches over us, <laughs> one who cares for us as a good shepherd, who loves us as a father. And as we rest in him, as we align our will to him and to his will, as we receive of his power through the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience and to choose life, as we become like him in our willingness to suffer for the sake of obedience and love, as we trust in the work that he's done on our behalf and anticipate the work that he will continue to do and one day he will bring to completion because he's faithful and he will do it, as Paul reminds us, including an end to death, to sickness, to suffering. So what does it mean to be kind of glorious in the place of suffering? You know, I think we get a chance to do this pretty much most days of our lives. There are opportunities for us to grow and to shine in the face of foolishness, to suffer like Christ. It looks like people we might think are our enemies, we choose to love them and bless them and give to them. People who mistreat us, people who speak about us, people who judge us. It's about Forgiving those who are close to us, even when they seem not to care about us. It's a way of dying to self and suffering gloriously. Because to forgive means we have to let something go. There's a loss with that. It's about being generous when people want to take from us and use us. Even sue us. Jesus says, when you're sued, give them 
not only your shirt, but your coat as well. It's about when we choose to give sacrificially to people who cannot give back to us because they don't have the means. It's about when we experience prejudice or are the victims of prejudice. Do we act in like manner or do we care and give and treat everyone the same and respect all and choose to learn from that? It's, it's about what we're like when we've lost our job or been treated badly by a manager when we've been embezzled by a friend who took from us and betrayed trust. It's what we're like when we're rejected by those who we thought loved and cared about us. Or we find out that somebody's been gossiping about us. When we've been abused or used by others. The invitation is, can we follow the example of Christ? Who suffered who took evil upon himself and returned righteousness. It's a wonderful verse in the book of Revelation towards the end of not only the Revelation, but the Bible itself. And it's about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Voice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And he puts in a he puts in a, a comment. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So you see, we are we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. We're told to put on Christ. Uh, we're given that as a gift: clean clothes, sins as scarlet, white as snow, and yet also the righteous acts. The fact that we choose to obey him and to live as he lived adds to that righteousness. So let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. And I think when we do this, this is what it means to suffer gloriously. <clears throat> okay, let me pause there and um, just invite us to reflect on that, reflect upon a Lord who loves us in this way and longs for us as he does.